Begin it where warm waters halt, and take it the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of brown. From there, it's no place for the meek, the end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. Words from a poem in a 2010 memoir entitled The Thrill of the Hunt by Forrest Fenn. Fenn's book, released 10 years ago, launched a decade-long hunt for a treasure he claimed to have hid somewhere in the Rocky Mountains, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. And in the 10 years since that poem was published, it said at least 350,000 people have embarked on some sort of quest for the treasure. The treasure reportedly valued between $1 and $3 million. One thing Fenn said he hoped would be a result of the treasure hunt would be getting people off their couches more and their video games and getting out into nature, and it seems he succeeded. There are dark sides to the treasure hunt, including Fenn's questionable character and the deaths of five people as they searched for his treasure, one as recently as this past March. But this past summer, around the month of June, just a few short months ago, Fenn announced an unnamed treasure hunter had found the treasure chest somewhere in the Rocky Mountains of Wyoming. Many still remain skeptical there ever was a treasure to begin with, Fenn himself died just last month in September, 90 years old, leaving a legacy that's nothing if not complicated. But the point stands, by your faces, and by the way, I was reading all these articles this week, treasure hunts grip our imaginations, don't they? We are magnetically drawn towards them, and sometimes, sometimes, can even be convinced to take risks in order to carry them out. Well, this morning, church, in our passage in the book of Proverbs, we see that God's wisdom is so valuable that we should search for it like we would hidden treasure. Because in the wisdom of God is found knowledge and life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 2. If you have a Bible but you don't know where Proverbs is, don't worry about that. You just let your Bible kind of flop open to the middle. You'll probably see Psalms, and then you turn right to the next book, and it's Proverbs. Proverbs is a book in the genre of wisdom literature, along with the books of Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, and Job. Its primary author is King Solomon of ancient Israel, though as we go along we'll find there are other contributors as well. And as we've studied this book thus far, we've seen that it splits into two main parts. So in chapters 1 through 9, we find discourses or lessons meant to persuade us to follow the path of wisdom, not foolishness. And then in chapters 10 through 31, roughly, we see sort of a variety, a potpourri of proverbs, short statements, disconnected, pithy remarks about normal life experiences that kind of build on those lessons in the early chapters and say, this is the path of wisdom, and put some flesh on the bones. 
in our studies thus far, we've tried to, to define wisdom as the right view of God and his world and living life in light of that. The right view of God and his world and living life in light of it. So this morning we come to the second discourse in Proverbs, this teaching from a wise father to his son. So follow along as I read for us the second full chapter of Proverbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good, and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. All right, well, believe it or not, what I just read is one and only one complete sentence in the original Hebrew, the, the language in which this was written. So this father... I think we can presume, has a big idea to communicate to his son. And he does so, if you, if you look at this passage, he does so sort of in the structure of if, then. If, then. So if the son will do X, then Y will be the result. So as we view this sentence this morning, let's see three things together. Uh, let's see the value of wisdom first. The value of wisdom we see that mostly in the first five verses. Next, the source of wisdom. The source of wisdom, mostly verses 6 through 8. And then in the remainder of the chapter, the protection of wisdom. The protection of wisdom. And I pray that, and I hope all our prayers are that we would leave this, this morning wiser than we arrived. All right, first, the value of wisdom. So look in verse 1. This father is speaking to his son, and the whole point of what he's doing is he's trying to persuade, to convince, to show his son the wise way and why he should take it. There in verses 1 through 4, we see these if statements. Do you see those? One after the other. Now, the first one is the father saying in verse 1, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. 
Uh, what are these words he's urging his son to receive? They're the words primarily of Proverbs, the words of the book we are studying together. And as we'll see, they're ultimately the very words, the very truths of God himself spoken through the Father. The if statement continues in verse 2. So if the son receives his father's words, making his ear attentive to wisdom and inclining his heart to understanding. So you see how the son's hearing of his father's words is linked then to the posture of his heart. So he can hear and resist or he can hear and lean in. So his father is urging him to bend his heart in submission to these words. The father's asking a lot. But as we'll see, he's promising even more. Verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. This is cool. Remember last week, what was woman wisdom doing in the marketplace? Do you remember? Well, what was her speech? Look at chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. See, this is a dialogue, isn't it? Woman wisdom back in chapter 1 is crying out to the simple, crying out to those who would hear, urging them to turn to her. And now in chapter 2, the father is encouraging his son to respond. To respond just like that, in like manner. To cry out in response. To raise his voice and say, yes, I'm going to receive this wisdom. Speak it. There in verse 4, the if statements come to a, to a close. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. So this son must seek wisdom in his father's words and the very truths of God and embrace that wisdom. Know it. Pursue it. And, and the illustration the father uses is striking, isn't it? There aren't too many things in this world pursued as adamantly, as wildly, as recklessly as wealth. So he says, son, do you know how men seek for silver? This might have been in the days when silver was actually more desirable than gold. This is the highest. You know how you would pursue a treasure hidden away from you? Now, seek wisdom like that, son. As Solomon's father wrote in Psalm 19, King David, about the words, the truths of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even fine gold. Dear church family, think about it. Why do treasure hunters seek treasure? Because it's valuable, because it's desirable, because it will bring them all they think they want in life. And if that's what they believe about treasure, then how do they seek it? Well, in the story of Forrest Fenn's treasure, adventurers sought it with abandon. They left everything at times behind in hope that they could get this treasure. They were compelled by the object of the hunt. They took risks. They gave up other pursuits in their lives. Wisdom should be pursued like that. Think of Solomon, the, the man mostly likely behind these, these words in chapter 2. When given the choice of what he could receive from God, he chose not wealth, but wisdom. 
He saw wisdom as the prize. Well, after all these if statements, we get to the then in verse 5. Do you see that? So if the son does all these things, if he radically pursues wisdom, then the father promises you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. As we saw in the first few verses a couple weeks ago, the preamble of Proverbs, verses 1 through 7, wisdom's foundation is in the fear of the Lord. If wisdom is a skyscraper, the fear of the Lord is its deep foundation, digging stories into the earth. See, wisdom involves knowing the right way to live in this world. Knowing the right way to pursue meaning and relationship on this horizontal plane. But successful living on this horizontal level must be rooted in a right vertical level with God. Wisdom's foundation is God and the right view of Him and His majesty and His glory. He is the author of it. There's no truth without God. He is capital T, truth. And so all wisdom and knowledge is rooted in his existence. So if we're to be wise, friends, if we're to live in right manner in this world, we need to know the one who holds this world together. Wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord and in the knowledge of the Holy One. Wisdom is found in relationship with God. In fact, ultimately, the treasure at the end of the hunt is God himself. And we see that even more clearly in verses 6 through 8. That's our second point, the source of wisdom. This father tells his son that if he pursues wisdom, he's going to know God. And in verse 6, we see amazingly, it's actually God who gives him that wisdom. Look at verse 6. Not only does he find the, the, the treasure at the end of the hunt, but he finds that the treasure at the end of the hunt is the one that gives him the treasure. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. God is the source of wisdom. And wonderfully, he's willing to give it. One, one scholar puts it like this. Seek wisdom and one will find God. Find God and one will gain wisdom. It's kind of a circular hunt. They're wrapped up in one another. You can't truly have one without the other. And isn't that great? I mean, what joy to know wisdom is not something you must manufacture, but something God gives to those who seek and know him humbly. Well, one book that's kind of called the New Testament Proverbs is the book of James. It kind of reads along the same way. In James chapter 1, we read something very similar to verse 6 here. James, the half-brother of Christ, writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Friend, when you find wisdom, you find God. And when you find God, you find wisdom. He is its source. So if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, 
First of all, thank you for being here. It's, it's our honor to have you. We hope you feel warmly welcomed by us. But I wonder what you make of all this. Proverbs 2, wisdom, knowledge. Does it surprise you that this stuff is in the Bible? I mean, when you think of the Bible, don't you think of Jesus with children on his lap or Noah's Ark? And then once you think through that, does this sound just heady? Too philosophical for faith? Well, friend, the, the wisdom Proverbs talks about is not meant to sound heady or philosophical. Like we saw in our first week, wisdom in Proverbs is the kind of wisdom for those in working clothes. This is meant for regular life. Proverbs talks about how important it is to live a good life in this world. And I assume that's what you want out of your life, right? Well, if you do, Proverbs chapter 2 is telling you, seek God first. He designed you. He knows how you tick. He's worthy of your worship. Seek him in humility and dependence. In knowing him, you're going to find wisdom. Yet, friend, as we see elsewhere in the Bible, finding God is not something you and I see as important in our sin. See, in our lives, our minds are often taken up with many other things besides the designer of our lives. Wealth, success, pleasure, comfort. And God can often be way down that list. That's pride. That's self-centeredness. And that is sin, according to Scripture. But you know what? The amazing news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when... Right there in the verse, few verses, you see that the son is told to, to incline his heart. When our hearts were not inclined to God, not interested in him, his heart was inclined to us. Now at the perfect time, God sent his son Jesus to live the perfectly wise life in perfect fear of the Lord. In perfect knowledge of God, but then to die the death of a fool on a cross. As a common criminal. Why? Because in God's perfect wisdom, he planned to judge his beloved son for any sin of any who would trust in Christ and repent and turn to him. So friend, the first step in pursuing wisdom is to turn to God's wisdom incarnate in Christ. To humble yourself, to see your sin placed on him, and to find peace with him. If you have questions about how to do that, there is no better pursuit for you this afternoon than to find the treasure at the end of that hunt. You can talk to me afterwards, you can talk to somebody sitting next to you. We would love to tell you what it means to find new life in Jesus Christ. And Christian brothers and sisters, as those in Christ, we now, with the wisdom of God in our hearts, like Proverbs 2 talks about in verse 9, I believe. Wisdom has now entered our hearts in Christ, and now we can grow in insight, wisdom, and understanding because we have its source as our Lord and our Savior. So are you taking advantage of that? Are you taking advantage of this amazing position we have in Christ as the sons and daughters of God? I wonder, as you're sitting here, where in your life do you think, man, I just need some wisdom? 
I don't know, maybe it's in your workplace, your, your finances, your family, your mental health during this time of isolation more than usual. As you sense those needs then, where are you turning first? Is God and his word at the top of that list? As we've seen, seeking wisdom is seeking God himself. So are you putting aside lesser pursuits? Are you taking risks to know him more? So if you're a member of this church, is it clear to your brothers and sisters here that you prioritize seeking God with his people here at Loudoun Valley, that you prioritize the morning gathering of his church? We saw earlier in in Jane reading those scripture readings for us that the kingdom of God and the joy of knowing his son is of such value that it makes total sense to sell everything to gain him. Does that describe your pursuit of God? So we began with that crazy tale of Forrest Fenn's treasure. And remember one of his objectives in creating that treasure hunt, whether it's real or not? is to get people off their couches and into nature. It was to send people on an adventure. Perhaps there's a lesson for us there, Christian. So often in our comfortable American Christianity, we're kind of like spiritual couch potatoes, right? We say we love God, we, we know we need Him, but our lives tell a different story. And when it comes to the tools that we've been given by which we can know God, prayer, devotional reading and reflection on God's word, fasting, church community, it can often be pretty apparent that those things are just not priorities for us. They take too much effort. So maybe Proverbs 2's message to us this morning is get up. Get up off the couch and run after Jesus. Fast, pray, hold tight to his word, call on him to answer you. Teenager, child, you're not too young for this. Senior citizen, you're not too old for this. Go after God, young man. Cry after the Lord. Elderly saint, read, listen, learn his ways. He's worth it. He's worth every effort you put into seeking him. The compelling nature of a treasure hunt is the reward at the end. And friend, the reward of knowing God is of infinite value. Literally, it will not fade away. The reward is God himself. Flesh will fail, treasure will rot, God will remain. Yet remember... God is still the source and the giver of wisdom. You will not earn relationship with him based on your striving. The knowledge of God is a gift all of grace, but it's a gift of grace that stirs us to action. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul writes of the same sort of paradox of both striving for God while knowing he's the one who's going to strive and find us. He says, therefore, my beloved As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Christian, God alone can save you. God alone can show you grace. God alone can give you wisdom. So as the objects of his grace run after him, hold fast to him. His wisdom will be found by you as you strive to know him more. God is a source of wisdom. And finally, and more briefly, we see in this text the protection of wisdom. That's what we see in the remainder of the chapter. So look in verse 7. We see God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And he guards the paths of justice and watches over the way of his saints. See, for those who receive his wisdom, for those whose God's wisdom comes into their hearts, verse 10, something that kind of calls to mind the, the new covenant doctrine of regeneration. A new heart with affections for God. For these people, knowledge will be pleasant. And as those near to God's wisdom, they will be watched over by it and guarded by it. Why do we need watching over? Why do we need guarding? We see that in verses 12 through 19. In verses 12 through 15, and then verses 16 through 19, we see two distinct people that God's wisdom protects us from and will deliver us from. You see that? The first is the man of what the Proverbs call perverted speech, twisted speech. There's words all throughout this chapter. We see the father's words. We see the son's cry. Right? Here's some more. And quite separate from the Father's words, woman wisdom's words in chapter 1, are these corrupted words of the evil man. It's interesting, verse 13, he look, it looks like he has at one point in his life known the path of God's wisdom in some sort of way. He's tasted it, but now he's forsaken it. He walks in darkness. Not only does he tolerate his evil way of life, but he loves it. He rejoices in it. He delights in it, verse 14. His way is not straight, but it's devious. It's crooked. See, Christian, we are often the objects of two sort of, let's call them commercials in our lives. So there's the commercial of folly that comes and displays to us in all the flashing technicolor that we need the apparent delightfulness of evil, the scandalous pleasures of doing something foolish. And we see that commercial, and it often attracts us. It, it appeals to our lust and our pride and our greed and our covetousness. And, and so we linger a little while as that commercial runs. And, and when that little pop-up button comes up on the, on the bottom that says skip ad, we, we don't quite skip it quite yet. We want to see this play out. We want to watch a little bit more. And the more and more we watch, the more and more folly looks a little wiser than it did before. A little bit more pleasant. At the same time, there's another cry, another commercial. And it's the commercial of what verse 10 calls the knowledge that's pleasant to the soul. These commercials offer not just the difference between truth and falsehood, but between pleasure and just the appearance of pleasure. Eternal pleasure and fleeting pleasure. And it's the commercial of 
wisdom that assures us knowing God satisfies the deepest longings of our souls. Knowing God makes sin look stupid. Have you listened to both of those commercials? Maybe even this past week? Proverbs would urge you to choose wisdom. And there in verse 16, the second person God's wisdom protects us from and delivers us from is the forbidden woman. We won't spend a ton of time on that this morning because chapters 5 through 7 are filled with that topic. But for now, let's just say this forbidden woman appeals to the son in this chapter, trying to convince him and persuade him in in direct contrast to his father, that pleasure with her will bless him and fill him with life. But as the father warns in verse 18, her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. And some of the most ominous words I think we find in scripture, he says in verse 19, none who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So real quick, Christian, if you're flirting with the forbidden woman or the forbidden man, you're being foolish. Believing those smooth words, whether they beckon you from your iPhone screen or your emotional attachment to someone in your workplace or wherever it is, will lead you down the road that ends in death. Turn to woman wisdom now before it's too late. Leave the forbidden one behind. And finally, in verses 20 through 22, we see the promise of walking in the way of the good and keeping to the paths of the righteous. So for those who turn to wisdom, turn to God, the Proverbs tell us they will dwell in the land and remain in it. They will live. But for those who turn away to foolishness, they'll be cut off. The principle is that to turn to evil is to eventually perish and be cut off from life and blessing. But to pursue good, to seek for it as for hidden treasure, will be to live. Now, does that always work? If you always pursue the way of the good and the way of wisdom, will that always end in life and prosperity on this plane? No. But God has promised a heavenly land where all of these promises and even more, more than we can ever imagine, will be those who choose the way of wisdom and walk in the way of life. We will not always be prosperous or happy this side of heaven, even if we seek wisdom with all our hearts. It's a world broken by sin. And in fact, we are promised suffering as the followers of a suffering Savior. Proverbs is in there here for the long run. It plays the long game. The path of wisdom will lead to life everlasting. So Christian, follow that path. Grow in that wisdom. Not to earn God's favor, but out of his favor, giving you already lavishly in his son. Seek wisdom vigorously. Get off the couch. Leave lesser pursuits behind. Seek wisdom, and you'll find life, 
It's the promise of Proverbs. Let's pray. Lord, we are often so stubborn and sluggish in our pursuit of you and your wisdom. And so thank you for this kick in the pants passage that calls us to something more valuable, more beautiful, more desirable than any fleeting pleasure we may find in this life. Thank you for the rich treasure we have in Jesus Christ. We find our worth not in skill, as we'll sing soon, not in skill or reputation or success or money or fame or beauty or mere human wisdom. We find our worth in Jesus alone. And we pray that we would seek him as for hidden treasure. Amen.